Welcome to the Inspiring You Show, where we shine a light on healing, whole health in our lives. We believe that in healing your story, you can transform your life. We are here to provide hope, tips, tools, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in this journey called life. I'm Henry, an intuitive empath, mindfulness meditation teacher, dowsing and Reiki master teacher, and energy healer. This, my friends, is a vibrational experience, a remembering of the truth of who we are. The content is light encoded to assist you on your journey if you wish to receive for your highest good. Welcome to the show, everyone. Okay, so today we have something a little bit different. For the last year or so, I have been doing Instagram Lives and it's called The Art of Practicing. And I've been doing this with a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, Brigitte Dow, whom I've known since I was in my 20s. Brigitte, in a lot of ways, has been the person who I have done a lot of just, um, I guess, tool understanding, if you will, where we have read a lot of books together, we have taken a lot of different classes, and in our 20s, we would get together and meet up and we would talk about what we had read and how we were applying tools and how those tools looked in conjunction to our everyday life and what was really working for us and what potentially wasn't. And it, and it really wasn't, you know, if one tool worked for me, it may not work for her. If one tool worked for her, it may work for me. And sometimes the tool worked for both of us. And we were just on this real um, path of self-exploration. And it was really the beginning of our self-realization work. And so now, all these years later, we are both um, at different places in our lives where we've come together again. And now we are doing dousing energy healing, Reiki, life coaching, and it's so interesting how a lot of the the things that we learned in our 20s and how we in some ways experimented on ourselves and really embodied to really understand the concepts, we are now able to support others. And so I love to read. Many of you know that I love reading and learning and Brigitte also loves learning and taking classes. And so we have been doing a, it's called the art of practicing where we basically talk about different tools and what works or how to implement the tools. And we do a book club with it as well sometimes. And so Today, I wanted to share the Art of Practicing Book Club. We just um, did this on Instagram Live last week. And this one, the book is The Body Keeps the Score, The Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And it's a, it's not, it was a, it's a very, um, there's so much in this book that I, I feel like, it's not even just like a one-off that I wanted to do. And I became so interested in the concepts of what was being delivered in this book that I went to the website and I'm now in, and so is Brigetta. We both got into the course. We're now taking the trauma and stress certification program and it's over the next like, I think six or seven months. And so 
Today, though, I wanted to share the Instagram live where we're talking about the book and the comms in the concepts and how to apply potentially the concepts as well as some of our own pieces of story in there as well. Our next art of practicing on Instagram live will be on September 11th and it's at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on September 11th on Instagram live and that's on the inspiringyou.co Instagram live. So I invite all of you to join us and also to listen to this, I know that it is a little bit longer than many of them. There is a lot of great information in here and I just take it in pieces. There is just such great information in here and I also really recommend this book as well. So here goes everyone. I'm going to hand it off to the portion that was recorded on Instagram Live. So you'll hear me reintroducing the art of practicing, and then we get into the meat of the book and all that. Anyway, I'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out and let me know what you think and anything else you'd like to share. Thanks so much, everyone. Okay, so let's just do a little quick intro. Um, hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Practicing with Henry and Brigitta. As some of you know, I'm Henry. I'm a mindfulness meditation teacher, dancing and energy healer, as well as life coach. Brigitta, would you like to do your intro? Hello, I am Brigitta Dow. I'm a Pilates instructor, uh, life coach, EFT tapping practitioner, Reiki and dowsing practitioner, and I'm an author as well. Blow, toot my own horn. Crafting a better life, creating <laughs> personal growth. You can get this on Amazon and Kindle. Um, yeah, and I'm very excited to be here uh, about this book. Uh, Great. So, so yeah, so today is book club day for the art of practicing. Uh, we are going to be chatting about this book right here. Um, the Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Dr. Vessel van der Kolk. I'm hoping I said his name. I know, I've been practicing. <laughs> Sorry if I didn't. Um, so it's about, so this book is about um, the body, the way the body responds to psychological trauma, to trauma. This book was released in 2014 and it became one of the most widely read books in the pandemic, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, the Body Keeps the Score is the inspiring story of how a group of therapists and scientists together with their courageous and memorable patients has struggled to integrate recent advances in brain science, attachment research, and body awareness into treatments that can free trauma survivors from the tyranny of the past. These new paths to recovery activate the brain's natural neuroplasticity to rewire the functioning and rebuild step-by-step -step the ability to know what you know and feel what you feel. They also offer experiences that directly counteract the helplessness and invisibility associated with trauma, enabling both adults and children to reclaim ownership of their bodies and their lives. And I will have to say, I just got a little emotional just saying um, the helplessness and the invisibility. Whew, we can talk about that in a bit, but wow. Yeah. yeah. Welcome those of you who are joining. I will continue on uh, reading a little bit more from it. So, uh, so drawing on more than 30 years of research at the forefront of the research and clinical practice, 
Basel van der Folk. No, Basel van der Kolk. <laughs> Oh, I've been practicing. Oh, well. Uh, it shows that the terror and isolation at the core of trauma literally reshapes both the brain and the body. New insights into our survival instincts explain why traumatized people experience incomprehensible anxiety and numbing and intolerable rage and how trauma affects their capacity to concentrate, to remember, to form trusting relationships, and even to feel at home in their own bodies. Having lost the sense of control of, of themselves and frustrated by failed therapies, they often fear that they are damaged beyond repair. Mm. What distinguishes The Body Keeps the Score is that the author is both a scientific research with a long history of measuring the effect of trauma on brain function, memory, and treatment outcomes, and an activist, active therapist who keeps learning from his, his patients and the benefits and what is benefiting them most. This makes for a very deeply personal, analytical, and highly readable, not to mention incredibly moving approach to the topic of trauma recovery. Yeah. So yeah, before yeah. we jump in, we just want to give a trigger warning. Mm -hmm. The Body Keeps a Score is a nonfiction book about the way the body responds to trauma. So we're going to be talking about where trauma comes from and how it possibly manifests. And we're just give, we want to just give some advanced warning so that you can take care of yourself. That's really important. And, you know, just to kind of give you some insight, here are some stats from the book. One in five Americans have been molested. What? I know. I just like, whew. This, yeah, this is I a mean, lot. it's just like one in four grew up with alcoholics. One in three couples have engaged in physical violence. I mean, the numbers are just really staggering mm -hmm. and there are more, but we're just giving you just a few of them. So a traumatic event is a shocking, scary or dangerous experience that can really affect somebody emotionally and physically and mentally and experiences like natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, the pandemic, what we just all went through and we're still moving through aspects of it, um, acts of violence such as assault, abuse, terrorist attacks, mass shootings, as well as car crashes and other accidents can be also traumatic. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of give you some warning signs, um, responses to trauma can be immediate or delayed, brief or prolonged. Um, Many people have intense responses immediately following and often for several weeks, months, or it could also be years after a traumatic event. These responses can include feeling anxious, sad, angry, um, trouble concentrating and sleeping, continually thinking about what happened. And some symptoms do require immediate emergency care. So if you or someone you know is thinking about you're in this kind of state of not feeling triggered, not feeling great, or um, in some sort of harm, like thinking about harming yourself um, or someone else or attempting suicide, please seek help right away. It's yeah. so important to take care of yourself. Call 911 for emergency services. Go to the nearest emergency room. If you have a friend or a family member that needs help, please support them. You can also call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, one 800 273 talk t-a-l-k or it's eight two five five or text the crisis text line and that's you can text hello h-e-l-l-o two seven four one seven four one also the national institute of mental health has some great resource information on their website 
So please, everyone, take care of yourself um, as we move through this topic. Brigitte and I have both experienced various forms of trauma ourselves. And so we know what it's like to feel it not only in our physical, but our emotional and mental bodies. And so we just want to make sure that everyone is supported through this. So let's dig in. Brigitte, do you want to read a portion of the book? Yeah, um, let's, I'm going to read this part about what um, this little snippet. So trauma affects not only those who are directly exposed to it, but also those around them. I think that's important. So soldiers returning home from combat can frighten their families with their rages, their emotional absence. The wives of men who suffer from PTSD tend to become depressed, and then the children of depressed mothers are at risk of growing up insecure and anxious. Having been exposed to, fa to family violence as a child often makes it difficult to establish stable, trusting relationships as an adult. Trauma, by definition, is unbearable and intolerable. Most rape victims, combat soldiers, and children who have been molested become so upset that when they think about it, that they think about what they experienced, that they try to push it out of their minds and try to act as if nothing has happened and move on. It takes tremendous energy to keep functioning while carrying a memory of terror and the shame of utter weakness and vulnerability. Oh. So while we all want to move beyond trauma the part of our brain that is devoted to ensuring our survival like deep deep below our rational brain is not very good at denial so long after a traumatic experience is over it may be reactivated at the slightest hint of danger and mobilize the the dirt the um the disturbed aspect of the brain circuits and secrete massive amounts of stress hormones and this precipitates like unpleasant emotions, intense physical sensations, impulsive, and it could also be aggressive actions. And these post-traumatic reactions can really feel incomprehensible and overwhelming. You can really feel you're feeling out of control. Survivors of trauma often begin to fear that they're being, that they are damaged to the core and beyond redemption. This precipitates unpleasant emotions, intense physical sensations, and impulsive and aggressive, possible aggressive actions. So you can really feel like that out of control feeling is just really uncomfortable. And so with it, then there can be trauma has so many, there can be so many effects to the mind and the body and the spirit. And so trauma is underlying so that we don't even, because the trauma is so underlying, we may not even understand how it's pervading us mm -hmm. day to day. Mm -hmm. So let's like really dig into that now, Brigitte, and unpack, you know, what we're talking about, because I don't know about you, um, just in talking about these bits, like I feel some emotion coming up. And I think what, um, <clears throat> One thing he mentions over and over again is that feeling of helplessness. Mm -hmm. Like that if there's, for a lot of us, the trauma, we, there's no other alternative. Like we have to just simply endure whatever, whatever it is that's going on. And, um, and that helplessness is what really kind of jars that part of the brain you were talking about that's just really not very good at, at denying something. And, but then how do you, he said something also, um, in maybe it was in the webinar where he said people when they feel like God has forsaken them, that then that's how they get that sense of I'm damaged to the core. Mm. 
like I'm unfixable. And then on top of that, I would say a lot of these people have possibly sought help and it hasn't helped. And that's frustrating and reason to believe undamaged. It's just more evidence of their traumatization that they're not fixable. Like, yeah, so I would, so I know that we, we talked about, you know, in terms of soldiers coming back, but you can also have, I mean, I, I experienced work PTSD where yeah. I had several yeah. incidents at work and, you know, one of them had, you know, really created, um, created trauma for me. And I had PTSD coming out of, um, I worked, if everyone, you don't know, I worked in television for many years. I was working 18 hour days, seven days a week. And, and there were, there were many moments where it was interesting and exciting and enjoyable and inspiring. There were some moments though, that, um, because we haven't really necessarily taught our society how to deal with um, stress and overwhelming um, feelings like intense feelings that they can become really jarring and so if somebody's coming to set you know having experienced things from not only childhood but adulthood then they can trigger and that kind of trigger if it's a rage it then can outwardly it can affect so many other people and i was on i was in it on experience like that and so some of these things that he's talking about were your brain or you're kind of like what happened to me i feel like yeah. i went through a process where i'm like what happened to me and and you can't necessarily go back in time but you can start in the present to start the healing yeah and i think that for me was the most challenging because i felt like in having work ptsd I didn't, you, it's, it's scary when you don't recognize yourself and something is happening in your brain and you, you know, and I think that part of the helplessness can be that if you don't find the right practitioner who understands the language you're speaking, because sometimes you don't even have the words to it. It's more like guttural, like, oh, yeah. And if you don't have somebody who can, um, you know, say, like support you through um, connecting the story dots with you, it can end up feeling like you're in a stream of like practitioner, practitioner, and you're spending a lot of money and where do I get the help? Which I think sometimes can increase the feeling of the helplessness. And then also you feel so vulnerable in the outside world. Yeah. Um, it can feel really, really tricky having, um, you know, being in that kind of post-traumatic stress experience where you're trying to regain your groundedness and your essence of safety so then being in the world it can it can really um it, you feel vulnerable and if you don't have a safe place to go to or you don't feel um heard or seen or you feel misunderstood even more you might then go even even more into um isolation and yeah yeah which, which I was just thinking that too, it's that one thing that traumatized people have in common is that they feel they don't feel safe anywhere. And that's one of the things he talks about in the book is who helped you feel safe yeah. as a child. And if there was no one, then, then that skews how your brain is developed. And then for those of us who do go through PTSD um, or any kind of trauma, I should say, um, as adults, it's a little different because 
technically our brains are formed, but they can keep changing. So mm -hmm. the things that, that come into our life, because I remember for me, the most trauma was my father passing away and then kind of all of that, because I was in another country, my dad passed away and then my mother, unbeknownst to me, had full on dementia and had been hiding it. So I kind of mm -hmm. inherited all this drama and trauma in another country. So I was flying back and forth. I mean, it was really in hindsight. And even when I was, I remember cleaning out my mother's house at one point and I was on a deadline and that, believe it or not, and it was a hoarder house. Um, in hindsight, I can say I was traumatized by that because mm. I was having dreams of like ghosts coming in afterwards, like months after I cleaned out her house, I would have a dream that I'd opening my closets and all her stuff was falling mm -hmm. out. Like it was just kept coming back and coming back. And, and that's one of the signs that he, he does talk about nightmares and, it, <laughs> and he did a, um, one of the studies he did was a night. I wasn't a nightmare study. Yeah. Believe, which is interesting. We'll talk more about that. What were you going to say? Well, no, I was just going to say that, that then it becomes whatever your go-to response is that your maladaptive response, I should mm -hmm. say, is that's just what you, because I know for me at that time, it was like, okay, once I get through the day dealing with oncologists, dealing with all these things, and a lot of driving and a lot of all the craziness, I would just want to isolate, literally shut down. Yeah. And that comes from childhood. That was my go-to as a child for various reasons. Again, not a great attachment to my mom. I think that there's, my, my mother had anxiety. And he mm. talks about that. It can be just that the parents can't attach in you know sufficient way with their children. Yeah. Caregivers. Well, that's, say. so one thing that you did um, that you did talk about is um, it is if you had a childhood where your parents were able to um, bring beneficial support, love, care, and beneficial attachment yeah. to support you moving from being a child into adult, then if you have trauma as an adult, it can be a lot different than if you had yeah. trauma as a child and then as and an adult. Because you're, as a child, your brain is still forming. I mean, it's, what is it, until yeah. you're age 25. And so, and so, and what you're talking about is, you know, with kids is the attachment, um, what is it, it's the attachment um, from parent, yeah. right? And yeah. that if you don't have, if they're, if it starts with your parents and whoever your caretaker is. Yeah. And so, it's so if you're attuned, if your parents and your caretakers are attuned to you and they're in, you're in sync with them, then you're going to develop, you know, healthy, healthy development of brain as well as future attachment styles with people. However, if your parents were traumatized themselves, which, which mine were, mine were as well. <laughs> um, so, and if your parents are also struggling with some kind of, like to emotionally regulate, um, yes, or connect with you, Hello. Um, this is absolutely going to affect you as a child. And so if in, in order to develop healthy relationships with other people and understand where you fit into the mix, then it, it can be cause like serious anxiety because you haven't necessarily as a child in your human experience seen that or felt that or understood that. And you still probably have aspects in terms of your brain that need healing or your body or, your or body. you know your mental emotional physical bodies or in the work that you know the dousing in the reiki energy healing work i would look into 
like heart and soul pieces and things like that to see, you know, if anything is stuck somewhere that needs to be cleared, released and reintegrated for harmony. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. I think too, going to the attachment style, if you have a secure attachment style as a child, mm -hmm. then when scary things happen, when PT, like for example, when the COVID virus, you know, pandemic happens, those people will naturally, they'll feel safer to reach out mm -hmm. to ask for help um, to get the support they need because they have a secure attachment style. Now, those of us who didn't have that at home, we will learn different things. Some people, it's a chaotic kind of attachment style, which we see with trauma. Or as for me, it was isolation. It was like, well, if it's not safe in my family, then it's going to be safe in my own little world. Mm -hmm. Not a healthy attachment style. <laughs> Not a great coping. But as a child, though, it's a great protective it work. <laughs> and uh, and you go in the closet and hide in my own world. Exactly. I'll go play with my imaginary friends and everything's good. They're my best friends, you know, and that was fine. And so um, and even so, again, as an adult for those experiences, they've been uh, uh, and, and I had I was fortunate enough to have a good therapist for part of when I was going through something. I don't even remember. I guess it was a month after my dad had died. And he was like spotting it. So I can see when I start saying, oh, I want to isolate myself. I'm like, the, the warning flags are going off. Mm -hmm. Like something got triggered. Mm -hmm. Or it's just a habit. It can also become a habitual response. Yeah, and you can be unconscious to it too. And so for people who don't know what attachment styles are, there are a number of them. There's what yes. Brigitte just said, the secure attachment. And then there's also unhealthy, insecure attachment. And you don't necessarily have have been traumatized to have insecure attachment. Um, your parents don't necessarily have to have been traumatized to have not been able to parent you in a way that creates secure attachment. Um, in a, but in a healthy parent, caretaker, child relationship, the parents and caretakers are very attuned to the needs of the child and the child can reliably count on them to meet yeah. their needs. And an insecure attachment is created when you cannot count on your caretaker or parent to actually be emotionally and physically and mentally attuned to you. Right. So here's a quote from the book. Um, As children, we start off at the center of our own universe where we interpret everything that happens from an egocentric vantage point. If our parents or grandparents keep telling us where we are the cutest, most delicious thing in the world, we don't question their judgment. We must be exactly that. And deep down, no matter what else we learn about ourselves, we will carry that sense with us that we are basically adorable as a result. If we later hook up with somebody who treats us badly, we'll be outraged. Right. It won't feel right. It's not familiar. It's not like home. But if we, were, if we are abused or ignored in childhood or grow up in a family where sexuality is treated with disgust or in, in our inner map, our inner map contains a different message, our sense of self is marked by contempt and humiliation and we are more likely to think he or she has my number and fail to protest. So it's so interesting how like, you know, I don't know, like if we are mis if we're mistreated, like, I, I just think this is huge. Like, you know, where is it's, it's kind of doing the reflection work and where is your set point, you know, way, way back in childhood, what was acceptable treatment, you know, how worthy are you? And then, and then looking into like, 
you know, in terms of you seeking out relationship with people that then match that level of worthiness. And that mean, unfortunately, may mean in terms of like, they may have been traumatized too. And so in our work, the energy healing work, it's the, it's the frequency, you know, in terms of the attraction of what you're bringing in, right. which is why then, you know, in terms of the work that we do, um, Reiki and dusting energy healing, if you're clearing where, what happened to allow yourself to shift to a higher vibrational frequency, so that way you can bring in a different aspect of possibly a frequency. So you're no longer matching, you've moved beyond that point. But I mean, the first comes though is really doing the work and yeah. doing the self-realization work because yeah. in order for you to draw in the healing and shift, it's really about having that awareness moment, catching yourself from going from unconscious to conscious and realizing like, oh wait, this is happening this is and it. seeing yeah. yourself in the programming. And once you see yourself in the programming, that's when you have the choice to make the change. Like, oh wait, no, I, I want a different result. So yeah. let me, let me choose a different door. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very difficult. I think for some people, if you've been living at a, in a fear frequency or in a sense mm. frequency and not really even knowing it, um, to go to a new frequency of the, the universe has my back, for example, that's kind of like the opposite. And you can't, in my opinion, one issue that I've had with, like this is sometimes I get into this with affirmations and things. Unless you believe it if with your body, like your whole nervous system has to be linked into the belief of the universe has my back, for example, because you're just not going to buy it. Your unconscious or your subconscious rather is just going to look to replicate what it knows so it feels safe. I mean, here we come back to the safety again. It's, mm -hmm. it's the safety is such a key to it. And when we're programmed as human beings to once we get past the age of five or seven, then we're just looking for information that just backs up our belief system. Just to say, yeah, I'm right. Yeah, I'm safe. Yep, this is good. This is good. This is why you don't even see certain things. Well, that's the other confirmation bias, whether it's yeah. negative or positive confirmation bias. Right. And our brains filter. Well, and that's, and so that's where too, like neural pathways, where you yeah. then, rec especially if you're in the fight, flight, freeze, they talk about the trigger where you're in it, your brain is going to go to, it's kind of like hiking trails your neural pathways are like hiking trails. It's going to go to the most um, well-worn pathway. Yeah. So, so yeah. because that's the easiest one to access and that's the one that's been trusted the most, if you will. And I use trusted yeah. because it's in your brain. It's the yeah. functioning of we're in fight, flight, freeze. You know, we're in the survival mode. We have to just go to something we know quick. And so that's why then, you know, retraining your brain and reworking the neural pathways, which I know in terms of affirmations, it's the process of the work where you have to catch yourself. You know, yeah. if you're caught in some sort of negative confirmation bias and you are in that kind of like, you know, just, you know, in that negative aspect of talking to self yeah. or even in the stories you're telling, you have to start catching yourself and then swapping out oh wow let me actually do the um, positive affirmations and not positive in a um you know in a tox toxic way but really because you want to bring in the level of optimism so you can shift from being caught in negative you know the negative aspect into the positive so you can be more in that 
beneficial grounded neutrality point as opposed to caught in either super negative or super positive. Right. And I think one of the things that I know I one of the homework assignments I give and I know you give too is to start to look for proof of this new level of energy that you've moved yourself up to. Mm -hmm. Oh, if it is something like the universe has got my back, I'm going to look for times when it did because yes. I need evidence. And, and then at a certain point, I think you don't need the evidence. Then you're looking for that. But at first, you certainly need to make it a daily practice, I would say, of looking for things you're grateful for. When did things work out for you? When and let's you just call, when you're, when you're talking about the universe has your back, that's <laughs> called trust. Yeah, exactly. you, you feel like there's some sort of mistrust potentially yeah. with you and the world and it feels scary. Yeah. And so that's why then, you know, okay, let me look for, let me look how, you know, the small things, how they've manifested. Oh, look, I can trust. I'm, I am able to trust myself and, you know, the universe for my highest good. I will say, um, I just want to say hi to people that are joining. Yeah, us there's a few people. And then, and does anybody have any questions or anything that they want to share with us? Yeah. And has anybody read the book as well? Anybody read the book? Any thoughts on it? Let us know. Um, so, and with it, when you're talking about the repeating, when you are repeating patterns, um, it, especially if you're caught in the, the negative confirmation bias yeah. and you're doing the spiraling loop, what can end up happening is it can make you feel even like less worthy to see it happening again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And then you might have even more anxiety and you may feel like then I don't know why I'm anxious. You know, and, and you might even cultivate a story because I was never mistreated. You might be thinking like physically mistreated or like abused physically, but there is, you can have emotional abuse, mental abuse, and it may be even with your caretaker or parent, they may not have done it. Like they might not have been conscious of it. It could have been like a repeated pattern of how they were raised or from some sort of fear that they had or insecurity. And so you know, what can happen is like, if you have like an insecure or like an anxious parent, they were likely then they weren't able, they weren't able to establish a secure, healthy attachment to you. Right. And it's not right, wrong, good or bad. It's mm -hmm. just, we're in this process of evolving people. Yeah. And so yeah. we want to just give, you know, gratitude for where, what they were able to do. And then anything else, taking responsibility at some point for our human and recognizing like, it's about evolving, like evolving, moving the apple, you know, yeah. for, next to the tree you want it to be next to. And it doesn't mean that we need to send some, you know, some, some, you know, not nice thoughts to our, our parents. We can still be in loving kindness and care and compassion to recognize how difficult it is to be sometimes human. Yeah. So, and, and so my friends, like if you feel like, you know, and so if, so if your parent wasn't able to have established a healthy attachment to you and in lacking, you then also become anxious. And it's not just that you're modeling their behavior. It's that it actually affected the way in you and how your brain developed and your nervous system developed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, and then, but the reality is though, there are tools to help you. Like yeah. you don't have to stay this way. You do not have to stay that way, but it is true. And I, and anybody who's like, well, I don't know, 
if I can relate completely to this. I just want to give a really quick example uh, that you and I have both been in. Um, and that's I'm curious which one you're going to do because we know we've known each other since our 20s. Yeah, there's a lot I could choose from, but I'm going to go with uh, driving in Los Angeles. Okay. Okay. So, and I, because I have a very acute, I have several times where, again, I'm like, someone was looking out for me because this, I should have, this should have turned out way differently than it did. But it's an example of how the brain works in those moments of, of, of trauma, of, of fight, flight, or, or um, freeze. And so there was a time I was driving on the 405. Um, and for those of you who aren't from Los Angeles, everyone drives like crazy people here. If you can drive fast enough, they're driving like a maniac mm -hmm. if you're not locked in traffic, right? So we're flying along. And the person ahead of me, who happened to be a woman, I found out afterwards, because when I drove past her, it was a woman. But anyway, so the person ahead of me, I was unaware that she was no longer moving because she didn't have her brake lights on. Mm -hmm. And so here I'm coming down the hill and we've gone up and we're coming down the hill and four or five, everyone's flying. And I'm like, oh no, like there is no way. This is, and I can see the cars behind me just coming at, you know, and I'm like, no, no, no. So now what happens in that moment is I don't see anything outside, literally the car in front of me, mm -hmm. this lane and that lane, that's it. And the car behind me, I'm not seeing, I don't even know if it was raining out. I don't remember anything else from that experience, but that. So my response was, and usually is lean on the horn to wake everybody up because everyone's on their phones. So, hello, wake everybody up, honk, 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 hit the brakes a bunch of times. The person behind me moves to the shoulder. The person behind them hits the brakes. We're fine. Mm -hmm. I'm accordioned as I thought it would be. And then we all take a deep breath, mm -hmm. right? Shake it up just yeah. like, yeah. And like yeah. <sighs> okay, what just happened? Oh, my God. And then we drive along, and then she had been pulled over, and I could see that it was a person who probably shouldn't have been driving. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> But that's an example of how laser focused we become in those moments. You know, like the other example I yeah. give is we're talking about hiking. It's like if you're hiking and you're having a nice day and you're talking to your friend about your goals and manifesting things, and then you hear a growl behind a rock, mm, oh. all conversation stops, all focus goes directly to the rock. You're not thinking about manifesting, you're not thinking about gratitude, you're dealing with what the hell just growled at me. Mm hmm. And those are like really clear cut examples of when there's trauma or when there's a situation. Well, the survival um, it, all those triggers. Trauma, yeah. Everything disappears and you are 100% focused. And I think the problem is if that gets triggered again, you become that focused. You get back into that fight mm -hmm. or flight. And it's not appropriate now. Yeah, because you know. you're still triggered and it hasn't been fully released. And then it can get stuck in the body, which... Yeah. He talks about in the body keeps the score, but in our work, in terms of doing energy healing, it actually, if the emotions haven't emotioned out, yeah. it can actually get stuck in the physical body. And then if you have the reoccurring, you know, patterns of it, it can then, it just keeps getting stuck more and more and it can go. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't know why my arm hurts. And meanwhile, you know, that, that initial traumatic event the emotions and the experience of the trauma was pushed there. And then every time it gets reactivated, it's going to that space. And then next thing you know, you have all this dense energy that's stuck in your arm and you're going to the doctor and the doctor's like, your, your medical doctor's like, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, exactly. And, and, then, and then you're like, okay. And then you go to your therapist and the therapist's like, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. 
And then, and, and it could be because you're not ready to also share with your therapist the event, or you may have forgotten also what happened because you could have memory loss. That happens and too. It yeah. happens. And, and he actually talks about, um, in the book, his, his thesis really centers on trauma, the urgent work of the brain after a traumatic event is, is to suppress it yeah. through forgetting or self-blame to avoid being ostracized but the body does not forget. So even if you don't remember in terms of your mental body or your emotional bodies, your body does not forget. Yeah. So the physiological changes results a recalibration of the brain's alarm system, which is what you're talking about when yeah. you know the driving or the hiking, seeing that like, what's that growl? Mm -hmm. So the recalibration of the brain's alarm system and there's an increase of stress hormones and an alteration in the systems that filter uh, filters relevant information from the irrelevant. Yeah. And he says this in the book, and then he also talks about how then stress is stored in the muscles and does not dissipate. And this yeah. is a profound ramifications then in terms of talking therapies and their limits he talks about, which I yeah. think is so interesting that he talks about that because he's a psychiatrist. And then the rational mind cannot do the repair work on its own since that part of you is pretending it has already been has <laughs> been repaired right i yeah. mean i just think it's so interesting how he just talks about i mean and I, I i think one of the things i like about the book and also everyone brigitte and i we just found the information so um helpful and supportive, not only in our personal lives, but also in working with our um, clients yeah. that we both decided to um, take. It's a, is it a, we're in a nine month, I think it's a nine month, right? Seven months, nine seven months. months. We're in a, we're either maybe seven months. We're in a, um, we're in a stress trauma um, teacher certification program with him now. Yeah. And yeah. we just wanted to dive in more and we wanted to just, really just it's just such a profound book and i think sometimes when you hear um doctors or scientists talking sometimes they can use language that is just you're just not familiar with he has a real way of inviting you into the story and he makes it very easy to understand and relatable no matter what story he's telling it's just so relatable and I just, I can't recommend this book enough, especially if you've gone through, you know, trauma. And what I also like about it is he has no insistence on like no single treatment is likely to work alone and that no combination will be exactly the same for every patient. Yeah. And I just think that is just like, thank you for the honesty. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Yeah. And he also, um, and he also really talks about like other things like somatic, um, you know, experiencing therapy, which is, I did that and it really yeah. helped me with my trauma. And he talks about theater, dance, all these different things that can really support you in healing, which I think is so amazing. You know, he, he's not totally against pharmaceuticals, he, but yet he also is much more interested in um, the holistic and by whole, I mean, H-O-W-L-E, holistic yeah. approach, because he really wants people to heal. And he's also yeah. interested in, he talks about, you know, psychedelics. He talks about that in terms of PTSD and depression. He talks about MDMA, ketamine, 
Um, he talks about yoga, theater, dance movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he probably at some point does talk about energy healing because he does talk about somatic experience and Peter Levine and the work that Peter Levine has done. So it's just, I just really appreciate his openness and his interest in really wanting to understand healing and yeah. not be so like, well, I'm medically trained psychiatrist and this is the only one way. It's really about the person and their healing and the results the person's having. Yeah. And I think too, with what he stresses is the goal is to get them to engage in their life fully now. Mm -hmm. moment, which does go to energy work. It goes to these practices, yoga uh, in particular. I know with me, if I'm not present for my yoga practice, I'm falling down because that's me. I yeah. think they are. So that's my thing. I know if I'm not present and in my body, but then again, see this, this is where we get into this trauma and is because those people who've been traumatized, particularly from childhood, but it counts as adults as well. It's very hard to trust being in this body. It's, it's very hard to feel safe in this body unless you've felt safe in the body, unless you've done some of the work mm -hmm. with the right practitioners. And again, this is where there are all sorts of options out there. I think we're getting a little bit better now. I know there are therapists that, you know, they work with PTSD specifically. Um, so, uh, but I do think that up until now, there's been a real lack because talk therapy, what was very interesting to me when I was reading the book is that the talk therapy is actually not one of the, it's okay. You got to do yeah. it, but it's really not. And, and also going back to what you were saying about things getting stuck in the body, that's what our bodies do. Now, this is the thing that I find fascinating. One of the things that brought me to Pilates and all of the work is that if something's not right, like if you ingest something that you unless it's like food poisoning then your body will take care of it that way but if it's something else your body's just sort of like i don't know how to deal with this i'll just put it over here mm -hmm. and i'll get to it later and i'll deal with it i mean we can even say eating excessively if you eat more than your body needs your body what does it do it packs it on it's like i don't know i don't have time for this so we'll just put it on your rear end or we'll put it on your stomach or we'll put it here you know and or put it on, on your organs which is of course more dangerous the internal fats and things like that it's just your body just doing its job. Well, I your, think too, it's your physical body. There's your physical body, your mental body, your emotional yeah. body. And so your physical body's job in terms of digestion is to the food go through you, right? In terms of like out the other end. Hey. But your, your physical body's job isn't really to mind the mental and the emotional bodies. Exactly. That's where you have to understand like, oh, it's yeah. just... Somewhere, somewhere along the line, the emotional body was like, hey, like, we're not ready to process this out because there could be something, some sort of ruminating happening in the mental body, yep. where then the mental body is, is like looping and keeping it stuck. So then the physical body's like, okay, hey, y'all, I'm just going to hip pocket this over here. Y'all yeah. let me know when you're ready to when process ready. that out, just like the waste, because yeah. I'm waste management. And I'm literally waste management. And so yeah. I will I will release it when you're ready. Yeah. So and that's where then even in dousing where you can balance yeah. dousing energy healing, you can balance the mental, the emotional, the physical bodies to yeah. work in harmony. Yeah. That being said though, I know something that you just talked about, like in terms of the safety, if you're not feeling grounded and even if you're not like curled up like this in a ball, but energetically you're curled up like that in the ball. Yeah. It is really difficult to feel safe in the world 
because you're not grounded. You're not letting your feet on the ground. You're not grounded in a line to feel like you are protected. And when you're really caught in your head, you know, you're swirling in that ruminating and you want to shift from your head to your heart because in your heart space, that is where you are most empowered and protected. If you're up here, you're thinking that it's the constant attack, but that's just what you're caught in. Mm -hmm. But that's where, you know, when you're talking about where he talks about in terms of talk therapy with, um, you know, PTSD, um, people that are going through PTSD, they, and what's also interesting in this book is that he has been, I think he's, is he in his 60s, 70s, 70s now? Oh, yeah, he's, so he's really been on the forefront of this work. I mean, oh, PTSD yeah. didn't, wasn't even defined no. when he started going through medical school. And so he was on the forefront of the group that really, um, you know, looked into it, researched, figured out what was happening. And they, you know, in terms of writing like diagnosis and prognosis, but he's also not he doesn't get caught on labels either, which is, I think is really interesting. And I really like uh, about it because yeah. then you're keeping somebody in a box. Yeah. Right. And so when he, what they discovered is they talk, he talks about in the book that they discovered is that if you're doing prolonged talk therapy with somebody who's had, you know, really traumatic events, it re-traumatizes them. Yeah. That being said though, there is an element where, um, he's really like for EMDR, which in EMDR, they do little snippets because mm -hmm. you got to get to the points, but that's in our work, we call it self-realization work, right, it's right. self-realization work, but you don't need to go into the whole story. Yeah. It, it's, it's just like, what is happening here? And then once you make that connection, then that clarity point, it can be cleared. And that's, you know, what we do in energy healing as well. And it's just, it's just really interesting. And I just, I don't know, I just found it really inspiring that the level that, um, I don't know, he just doesn't, he didn't, he wasn't giving up. Like he just wasn't oh, giving he's up. So curious. He's so, and genuinely so curious. So, you know, like he'll, he had these people who would cut themselves and he was like, this is strange. Like his, I love his yeah. accent. I just love listening to him talk. He said, this is strange behavior. It's like, yes, that's strange. But it isn't if you've been traumatized. It's yeah. a common, common um, side of, not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, outcome uh, or uh, behavior. That's the word I'm looking for. If you've been traumatized, it's very common. Um, as as counterintuitive as it sounds to those people, it makes perfect sense. It actually helps yeah. them. And, and that goes back to, as you said, I loved how you said our body is basically a waste management system. It really, truly is. I know. Actually, that was the first time we came through. I was like, God, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's, it has really no business. It's just helping. And if you can make things flow, I like, in other words, the energy work we do, flow, you can flow through any emotion. And I've, yeah. had, this, I've had this happen personally. Um, you know, the whole ugly cry thing when you're mourning or something. And I'm like, I got to give myself some time. I'm not going to stop it. I'm going to let it flow. When you let the emotions flow, and particularly if I'm not talking just for me personally, my experience of this has been, they don't sit with you for that long. You kind of move through it. It just wants to flow and your body is fine with it. And, and, it's, and if you need a witness, if you need someone there to, to honor and hold space for you, absolutely. I think that can, that's where a great therapist can be to do that for you. Mm -hmm. You just let the emotions come through because that's all they want. They just want to be expressed and moved and if you don't do that then yeah your body's gonna go like as you said hip pocketing it over here it's like i'm gonna put it uh, you got lower back 
okay, we'll put it right back there and we'll keep layering that. Yeah. And then the body's trying to let you know through it's these safe. signs of like, hey, your back is hurting. Yeah. And, yeah. and not to go into, it's interesting because people are like, oh my God, my back's hurting. It's like, yeah. okay. He also <laughs> recommends meditation too. Um, yes. That's where with meditation, and there's a lot of different styles of meditation. I will say if you're going through like PTSD or, um, or trauma, I, I'm in a two-year mindfulness meditation teacher program. I'm almost completed. Yay. Yay. Um, but they talked about how mindfulness isn't always the best like type of meditation at first because you're basically going quiet, noticing the thoughts. So I find that like Kundalini yoga meditation, chanting meditation actually really helps with um, helped me with my PTSD because also it's linked to science. It's linked to the vagus nerve, which is then helping the vagus nerve. Um, yeah. yeah resync. Yeah. I mean, chanting is so good for that. Yeah. Um, I also just want to read about another part from the book, if you don't mm -hmm. mind. Yeah. So the, um, he talks about from the book trauma and loss of self, which is I think part of what you're talking about the, um, yeah. you know, one of the first studies he did. And so I'll read from the book. Um, one of the first studies I did at the VA started with systematically asking the veterans what happened to them in Vietnam. I also just want to point out, even if you haven't been to war per se, there may be similarities in hearing these stories that yeah. can be related to you in your own experience if you, you have experienced PTSD. Because yeah. I can read this and in my own experience in working in television, I feel like, oh, I've had like, I have like work PTSD and I'm like, I can relate to aspects yes. of it. Yes. Maybe not to some of the, you know, some of the single points in it, but there are like overall things that I can kind of relate to. Um, okay, so the first study I did at the VA started with systematically asking the veterans what happened to them in Vietnam. I wanted to know what had pushed them over the brink and why some had broken down as a result of that experience while others had been able to go on with their lives. Most men, most of the men I interviewed had gone to war feeling really well prepared, drawn close by the rigors of basic training and the shared danger. They exchanged pictures of their families, girlfriends, they put up with one another's flaws and they were prepared to risk their lives for their friends. After about three months, Tom led his squad on a foot patrol just before sunset. Suddenly, a hail of gunfire spurted, hitting the men around him one by one. Tom told me how he looked on in a helpless horror as the members of his platoon were killed or wounded in a matter of seconds. Tom wept as he recalled. He, was, he wept when he recalled one friend who was, who was killed. He was the only real friend I ever had. After that, afterward, at night, Tom continued to hear the screams of his men, which is what you were talking about with the nightmares. Yeah. Any sounds, smells, or images that reminded him of the ambush, just like popping of firecrackers or on the 4th of July, made him feel just as paralyzed, terrified, and enraged as he had the day that he was, the helicopter evacuated him from there. So maybe even worse for, maybe even worse for Tom then the reoccurrent flashbacks of the ambush was the memory of what happened afterwards. I could easily imagine how Tom's rage about his friend's death had led to the calamity that followed. It took him months of dealing with his paralyzing shame before he could tell me about it. Tom experienced the death of Alex, that was his friend, as if part of himself 
had been forever destroyed, the part that was good and honorable and trustworthy. Trauma, whether it is the result of something done to you or something you yourself have done, almost always makes it difficult to engage in intimate relationships. After you have experienced something so unspeakable, how do you learn to trust yourself or anyone else again? Or conversely, how can you surrender to an intimate relationship after you've been brutally violated? Tom kept showing up faithfully for his appointments as I had become for him a lifeline, like the father he never had. And Alex, who had survived the, and, and Alex, who had survived the ambush. It takes enormous trust and courage to allow yourself to remember. And one of the hardest things for traumatized people is to confront their shame about the way they behave during a traumatic episode, whether it's objectively warranted as in commission, as in the commission of the atrocities in terms of where he was at in terms of the war or not, as in the case of a child who tries to placate her abuser. Yeah. I mean, and I think that like when he was talking about the shame, oh. like for me, the incident that happened to me was, you know, I was working on, I mean, hi everyone who else has joined us. We are talking about the book, The Body Keeps the Score, talking about trauma and talking about healing. So the experience that I had on set was I had, um, I was working on a, a docu-series on a reality show and I was a consulting executive producer and I was in charge of like the night shift. So my hours were like 1 p.m. to 1 a.m. But let's face it, it was really 1 p.m. to like 4 a.m. Um, and so I was also driving, I'm, I live in Santa Monica. I was driving from Santa Monica to Pasadena. And those of you who are not familiar with Los Angeles, it means that I was on like four freeways and it yeah. took sometimes two hours to get there and so that was the traffic that Brigitte was talking about early on oh, and wow. so I would you know I would sometimes get home at like maybe I mean at night obviously at that time in the morning it's faster so sometimes I would get home at like five in the morning just depending um sometimes four it, it just depended on how long we went and so I only were get I was only getting a couple hours of sleep because then I'd have to be up to get into the rush hour because getting to one o'clock, one going from Santa Monica to Pasadena at 1 p.m. That's a terrible. Or 12 p.m., I mean, like, come on. So I'd have to leave at like 11 a.m. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, I, I, I just got to work and um, I walked in and, I, and I, can, I vividly remember this. I was walking through, we were at a large house estate because it was a, um, ironically, it was a house therapy show where we had an in-house therapist on camera as well as an off-camera therapist who by the way both therapists did witness this which is interesting we'll talk about that in a second and there was probably maybe a couple hundred or more um crew that was working on set and there was a there's a large within that a large producing staff and so I'm walking through set saying hello to everyone I'm going through where you know the production team is and then I'm going through where you know crafty and a, a huge like cafeteria area was set up and then I, I I remember coming into the equipment room and a couple of the um camera uh people they couldn't quite meet my eyes and I was like what's going on and then all of a sudden I heard like 
like this this guttural screaming rage anger and I was like whoa and so then I'm moving through one room and I'm going into the control room which is it's the control room it's a large control room that probably can maybe fit like over a hundred people like it's a, it's oh, wow. a huge room like it was a huge production and um and so I'm, I'm walking, I'm starting to walk in. I turn the corner to walk into the control room and I see a producer that I had worked with on, you know, a past couple shows and she's crying. And I'm like, what is happening? And then I see some more, I, like, I just see a sea of producers crying. And I see the therapist in the corner kind of like, not really looking, but looking, you know, they're, they're not wanting to really engage. And then I am moving towards the showrunner who is just something triggered. The person hadn't been sleeping and it was a very, um, it was one of those experiences where it's like, you don't want to say you're set up to fail, but it was like the yeah. network had a show that was supposed to be in a certain time slot. The show got canceled this show that we were on, it got pushed up like by three or four months. And so that means then if anybody's not familiar with production, TV production, it means then you have a shorter pre-production. We maybe had two or three weeks for pre-production, which for this type of in-house 24 seven, you know, where you have like, I don't know, 20 people in the house, living in the house 24, 24 hours for a therapy show, it wasn't enough time for pre-production. So then in production, we were constantly behind. Right. And then you, at that time, we also had the network there that then, you know, they already had one show. So then there's so much pressure then. Everybody wants to succeed, do well, do well, do well. So then no one's really handling the stress management. And right. so it's a lot of pressure for a showrunner. And also the company at that point, they hadn't been doing very well. They had, they had a lot of hits and then they didn't have a lot of hits, which mm -hmm. then, you know, how are we going to keep people employed? How like, oh my God, we're getting behind. Like it's that kind of stress. So a lot of stress on multiple, multiple levels. And the person hadn't been sleeping and they were in a complete like, oh. and so I then approach to say, to do the due diligence because why forget it. You and I are great about showing up. Yeah. We tell somebody that we're going to do something and we show up. And so even though my intuition was like, yeah, you can back on out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Just back yeah. on out. I, I have free will. I persevere. I move forward. I move so, like the good soldier. Here you go. Move forward like the good soldier because I made a commitment. Even though I saw the signs, I saw the crew not being able to look me in the eyes, I yeah. saw producers crying, I saw the signs. That's I'm okay. responsible. I'm a consulting executive producer. I'm here for my shift to show up. So I move forward and I go to engage, to say, hello, I'm here, and to see if I can help. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. And, um, and I remember the person was standing next to, or in my version of the memory, because who knows, right? Because I did, <laughs> I did, I'll tell you in a minute. So I, in my, in my version, the network, two of the network execs were standing next to the person and they, the person was just like, 
yelling at two other people. And so I go up and approach and I just said, hi, I'm here. Is there anything I can do? And then the person turned and screamed at me. Right. And I had just came off of another show where um, the, net the network executive was bullying. And then also the production VP was bullying. Mm -hmm. And I had already had, like my nervous system was already kind of like up in arms from that experience because it was a very difficult experience. And I stayed on the show because I really liked the content and I also really liked the cast. And I felt very protective over the cast. Again, choosing other than me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And which comes back to then my own childhood where I just had, you know, parents for, you know, whatever reason, I took care more of their emotional needs, specifically my mom, as opposed to them being able to support me. So it, it's a, it's the pattern, right? The pattern. So then I go up, I'm in my pattern. And, um, and so I, I all of a sudden the, the person just starts screaming at me and I totally disassociated. Yeah. Like a hundred percent disassociated to that's, the point where, but I, I have, I've been doing meditation since I was, you know, you know, meditation prayer since I was a kid, really getting into meditation in my twenties, which we've talked about. You've been here for the journey with me. And so I do have the ability to be in the observer self yeah. and witness. And so I was witnessing myself in this disassociative state. And the person sounded like Charlie Brown's teachers. And if anybody doesn't know the reference, <laughs> I was literally like, I can't understand, which I think is even scarier when you're like, I can't understand what they're saying. My, my, my ears aren't decoding. Where's my decoder ring? And I, I was like panicking, like, I don't get it. What's happening? And I, I couldn't even like process. And I think my face, like the person was getting angrier and angrier at me because I couldn't even like say anything back, but I couldn't understand what they were saying. It really <laughs> sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, wah, wah. It sounded like gibberish. It sounded like, I was like, I don't understand the language. I, I don't understand what they're saying to me. And so then my, my, you know, my observer self, my higher self, whatever you want to call it was like, okay, like tapping me on the shoulder, now would be a good time to leave and go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> and I just was like, and like, and they're just like, just say the words, just say the words. And I literally was being coached and I was like, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I literally turned and walked away, which by the way, inflamed the person who was oh, yelling to the point where it caused us, I, I'll say, I'll tell, I'll say that in a minute. But as I was walking away, there was a person that um, the person that I initially saw that was crying, she's still crying. I grabbed her and I hugged her and I was like, it's going to be okay. And I was telling her it's going to be okay. But really I was telling myself it was going to be okay. Right. Really right. just telling myself it's going to be okay. And then I said to her, which I don't remember because why I disassociated. I remember saying it was going to be okay, but I don't remember this part because my memory is still in bits and pieces from the disassociation. <laughs> exactly what happens and I said to her I'm done if I ever take another show like this like I'm being a jerk to myself like I'm done being a jerk to myself I'm done 
And she later told me this once I career transitioned and she goes, you were so definitive. And I was like, wow. And I was like, that was the moment. And I was like, that was the moment where I'm like, I'm just done. I'm not gonna, I'm done. I'm done being, I'm just done being shitted on. I'm done. I'm just done. And I just remember then afterwards though, I wish I had the wherewithal I, because I was in a disassociative state afterwards, like I don't really remember the next couple of weeks of working there. I remember though, going back and he talks about it in the book, how your brain changes. I remember going back and I was like, I'm so confused because like, I'm like, I'm really great at doing energy healing and, you know, teaching meditation, but I'm, I am even better at doing at working in television like it is so easy for me i understand story i can flow with story i can watch multiple cameras like it is so easy for me to do and effortless yet being back in the control room i was like i couldn't even my brain functioning was different yeah and it's because i should have should have could have i don't really like the word should have i didn't have the information that I needed to um, leave the situation to actually re-embody to heal. You can't really re-embody in, in, the, in the space that you were just traumatized in, or in my experience. I agree with you. And I think you bring up a good point. And this is where you see now, it would have been great if you could have just all shut down production for two weeks. Let's have a little hiatus here. Let's all like do what we need to do. But you had to continue to go to work. So that's where, yes, you could physically leave to go to the bathroom, but you couldn't leave. You couldn't, you're still in it. So give it, how long are you spending in the bathroom? You still got to come out. And, and then the person was really mad at me. So then they were icing me out. Right. Because they were like, I did something to them. Right. And so then I was having to deal with like, real anger coming towards me in a disassociative state, which right. also, by the way, there were two therapists on set <laughs> and I mean, and meanwhile, it's a therapy show about um, people trying to work out their therapy with each other. And it's like, we just create all this trauma was just created. Yeah. And I think that's part of what I like about, you know, his work is that he, he kind of really levels up in terms of practitioners really being curious and open and also really not wanting to um, like continue creating more harm or if something's happening, vocalizing, or he has no problem also. Um, you know, there's several times where he felt like where they were going that was not in the best interest in his opinion. Right. So he walked away from certain yeah. jobs yeah. Um, and he also talks about, is it the DSM, the book in terms oh. of that? He talks about that, right? Where, yeah. And that's really interesting to hear. Yeah. And, um, and so I just think that it's like, you know, the therapists were there to do a job, right? Yeah. They're there to support, you know, production, the show. But what about the people that are making the show? And also, you know, they probably want to be able to work on more TV shows. And that person at that time and, and still, they very successful production company on paper. And so, but their, so their allegiance is to that person who's creating all this trauma. And then all these people, they just watched get harm. 
And yeah. I'm just like, but didn't they sign like some sort of oath as a therapist? But is it just to the job that's giving them the paycheck? I literally was like, what is going on here people <laughs> yeah like it was so like once I was able to leave and like start to unpack it all I really was like wow and you can't it's not about blaming it's just about bringing awareness and consciousness like what is really happening in our society whether you're in the workplace home place and then how are we really showing up are we like I just was like wow they're just so in some ways they're just like it's about this is the job I'm doing. And so they've got blinders on. Yeah. And and I'm not gonna get involved in anything else. Even though it was like textbook, they've yeah. probably read about it. They probably studied it. And it was happening right in front of them. I was like, wow. But yeah. it took me um it took me a while. And when when he talks about the stuff with the brain it really took me a while in terms of to re-embody and, you know, Reiki and dosing energy healing were my number one tools for that. And then also, um, Kundalini yoga meditation. I was doing 40 day, 90 day sets in terms of chanting. And then also, um, somatic, um, experiencing right. therapy was my, my choice in terms of what worked for me. Other people, other things may work for them. I know some people say that EDMR really, is that what is yeah. it? I think that's right. Um, say that. Yeah. I will say though, what was also challenging was shame. Mm -hmm. I had shame coming up from mm -hmm. my experience. Like, and I, and then I didn't, I was afraid. And even now saying it, like I was afraid to talk about it Yeah. because um, I felt like I'd done something wrong. Mm -hmm. And so then I, and then I was like, and people were like, I don't understand. Like, you know, you have an amazing agent, uh, you know, at the time I had an agent ICM and which is anybody that doesn't know is a rather, you know, big agency. Yeah. And, um, and I had, I was on several like lists for networks in terms of being a showrunner. And they're like, how do you walk away from that career? And it's like, it was either myself yeah. or the career. And I was like, I have to choose myself because wow, something just happened to me that is so painful yeah. that I can't, I have fragments of the memory and I don't, you feel different in your brain. Yeah. But that being said, the neural pathways can heal and you can, in terms of like the person who I was yesterday, like, I feel like, wow, I'm like more of an improved aspect because right. I now understand myself in more of a holistic way. And if I was still working in television at that pace, 80 hour a week, seven days a week, I would have never gotten to know like how I really operate right. physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Right. And I think that's the most amazing thing about, you know, I'm, now I, I see it as a gift. Like that person, she gave me the greatest gift because I feel so at peace I'm not stressed. And even if I do feel stressed, I have tools to workshop it now. Right. So that's where then the gratitude and, you know, and learning the tools and taking the time. And so with it, I just want to share with people, you know, if you're in an experience and you're afraid to make a great change, I know it can be scary, but yeah. really learning to use courage and just being like, it is going to be okay. And it's somehow you may not feel like you understand how it's going to work out, 
it will eventually work out. Just let yourself take those first brave few steps to like take care of yourself. Yeah. That's like the most important thing because you can't, when you've had some sort of trauma or PTSD like that, you can't really operate. You can't, you can, but it really affects all the aspects of your life, which is what he also talks about in the book. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say a quick hello to some people that are joining sure. us. And for the book again, Henry, the, the body, hope that that's what we're talking about in case you don't know. Um, yes, to that point is because again, it goes back to your programming. And at that point, because it was such a serious moment, it was so traumatizing, your brain just laid down some new information for you. And it's like, all right, this is how we're going to function now. Uh, that was, you know, and I don't even know how to handle that. So we're going to separate from and all the things that your brain did perfect in that moment, because you're in survival. But then what happens is because it's so heightened, like within a case of trauma, then that's the new filter that you see your world through. And what's interesting he brings up in the book is he talked to, they, they did, um, I think it was in San Diego, they did a big study and they interviewed and he let, you know, people who felt they'd been traumatized. And he, and he said, okay, so, and, and this was so interesting. So he'd say, okay, so let's not talk about the trauma. You know, are there any good things that have ever happened to you in your life? And the person would talk about like their child being born or their wedding or whatever. He said, okay, let's talk about your wedding. And, and this is interesting, having been married myself, this is true. Um, he said, do you remember in detail um, how, you know, your husband looked that day? Mm. And, and the funny thing is, going back, little slight tangent, I'd had someone tell me your wedding day is going to be a blur. So stop at one moment and take in the room. And because you're not gonna remember anything. And you know what? They're right. I remember that moment. Oh, interesting. Remember that moment because mm -hmm. I just stopped and was present and I was still and I took it in and it was beautiful. The rest of the day is pretty much a beautiful blur. I remember the feelings around it. It was great. But the how he looked, um, you know, it touches, feels, the food even. People told mm -hmm. me the food was great. I don't remember and I'm a foodie. I, I think the food was really good, but, I, I, you know, you don't remember. However, when you're traumatized, the details, like I can tell you exactly with Northridge earthquake, second by mm -hmm. second, what happened. And then there are these big gaps mm -hmm. just like that are just like, I don't really know how that happened. There's something, but then I remember that, mm -hmm. but in vivid detail, I can tell you the sounds. I can tell you what I was seeing. I can tell you more, all of the sounds. It was a very loud, uh, I was very, right by the epicenter. So it was very loud um, and very scary. And in detail, I can remember it. And that is the difference with trauma. Because trauma that is, is so it's a good point that you're bringing up where you yeah. have the memory gaps, whereas in your wedding day, it's a different sense of like, yeah, excitement, joy, like you're in the flow blur. But yeah. you don't feel like there's any memory gaps. Yeah, no, there's nothing like it's just one big, beautiful event. Yeah. Remember completely, but it was pretty great. Obviously, I liked it. The earthquake bit by bit. I mean, I can tell you I was, abs I thought, in fact, I was screaming, I was screaming Jesus, which I think is pretty funny, <laughs> as I'm being flung around my bed. And I had a, my girlfriend, my, my roommate, my best friend was right, right in the bed next to me. She wasn't making any sound at all. And I was a big fan of horror movies, still am. So I kind of, part of me thought like, have I just entered yeah. like some other reality? Like, oh my, and it was in the middle of the night, right? It's four o'clock in the morning, 4.30 to be exact. So you remember these things when it's traumatic and I'm being flung around. And you could hear the ground rumbling like it sounded like a demon underneath me. Yeah. Horror movies. So that was going on. And someone was screaming. That was me. 
Wow. So you couldn't even recognize that you were screaming. I didn't know who the voice was. Wow. Who was yelling? Because after long. So then after that incident, how did you then re-embody and have you actually cleared the shock from your body, even even though it's been all those years? Yes. Well, it has. I mean, the first one thing that happened that I thought was very interesting is we needed to talk about it over and over and over and Mm. over. We needed to find some sort of, what does this mean? You know, we we lived in absolute terror because aftershocks can be as bad as anything else. But what we did do, which I do get a kick out of being the young actresses that we were, we did uh, go back to our unit because we all left our units. I was living at the Oakwood Apartments. If anybody knows that, it's a major Hollywood. Was it like kind of like your version of Merrill's place at the time? Exactly. It's like total industry place. Everyone was great. I mean, to be honest with you, everyone was really great. But um, so we went back to our room, our our apartment, and stood on the balcony and shared a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Mm. Food. Yeah. That's food, 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 soothing, 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 <laughs> self-soothing. And but at least you know, but but that was one of those cases. And you're right. It's like clearing that energy. I mean, uh, it's a trigger for me now. If I hear that would be walk- interesting to see now going back and doing some dousing work on that yeah. to see if there's if you've cleared the shock uh, energy out of your system from I it. I haven't thought of it because it's like you know this being in LA. The, if anyone's never experienced an earthquake before, it's rather specific, and you hear the walls creaking sometimes before. It sounds you start- like a train is about to come through your house. It is not it's cool. so loud. <laughs> I was in a movie theater the first time. I was like. What is that noise? There's no train on the screen. I'm so confused. Yeah, mm -mm. Yeah. don't recommend it. Don't do it. Definitely. (laughs) No fun. But in that moment, but it goes back to what you're saying about like, you can remember that event. And then there are chunks missing. And this is this is trauma. And so this is where finding the right way to heal it. And it something earlier brought up another story um, that my the doctor that I studied physical uh, I didn't study that. He's a doctor of physical therapy. I studied Pilates with him. He talked about, now he was very, this was years ago. This was over 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. And he was very open to, it's not always a physical problem. Mm. It can be, you know, a ruptured disc is a ruptured disc. But I mean, but does it, and sometimes people have actually, also this is interesting. If you look at their MRIs of their back, they can have a whole bunch of problems, but they're Mm. not, they're not feeling it. Or you can have the opposite, which you talked about with someone when we're saying like, oh, my elbow hurts and I don't know why. Yeah. He had a client, a woman coming in with back pain and he is very good with backs. And he'd said within the first two or three sessions, you should be 80% out of back pain. Not 100%, but 80% if we're doing our job correctly. And he's works with insurance companies mm-hmm. and he's, he's, and I agree with that. If you're doing the right work, you should be able to assist the client to get maybe not 80%, but get them comfortable where they can function. And um, it wasn't working. And so finally he said, come into my office, let's talk. Mm. And uh, he said, tell me what else is going on. Um, Mm. Tell me about your family life. Tell me what's going on. And then she started crying and she'd been having an affair. Mm. And he said, that's your back problem. He said, you need to go home and figure out what you're going to do. You need to make some choices. You need to go see your priest. You need to maybe see a therapist. You don't have a back problem. Mm. You have a different problem. And this is like what we were yeah. talking about. And then the back is like hip pocketing it. And then it's oh, causing yeah. pain. It's like, causing and it's block- really- all the dense energy is causing the blockages. Yeah. 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 And it's 
hello, wake yeah. up, we're out of congruency here. Yeah. We're out of Clearly, if she wasn't out of alignment, she wouldn't have cared that she was having an affair. It was, it was ripping her up inside. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does anybody have any questions or share, yes. share um, any, yeah. anything? Or has anybody read the book? Not that you have to read it because we definitely reading. So, and Brigitte, do you want to um, talk about how what he revisits over and over again? Where is that? What, when, oh, when you revisit things over and over again? Yeah, well, uh, when you revisit over and over again that the way we eventually move on from trauma is by the reintegrating. Yeah, I can't find that right now. Do you want to read it for me? Oh, sure. Um, sure. It's, if you um, have it, it's in front of you. So the thing that Dr. Bessel van der Kolk revisits over and over again is the way that we eventually move on from trauma is by reintegrating it with our past. So when something is traumatic, it literally can freeze us in time and our body and mind keeps acting as if we are still there. And so we can't move on and we can't think straight and we can't function normally. Almost everything or almost anything can re-traumatize that and make it feel what happened is still happening a decade ago, two decades ago, that it's currently happening in our current experience. That's why it can become so debilitating for people. It's not about trying to ignore or forget about it. It's about integrating it in such a way that you can respond as if it's a thing in your past and then allowing you to move forward. So it, and it really may be like, for me, like that was obviously a really challenging experience that in some people would say like it was a bad thing that happened. Um, and even though it, 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 could feel like a long time ago, but to your body and your mind, it's still yeah. acting like it's now happening right. now. Yeah. So your body keeps the score. Your body's yeah. still acting like it's yeah. happening. Yeah. And so, you know, the anxiety or anger or whatever, whatever's happening, they may all be signs of what keeps happening is getting reactivated. Yes. And so a person mentally may not have anything to really be anxious about, but physically the body is still acting like the person does from the past trauma. So just in talking about them, we've talked a little bit about it, but like, where yes. does trauma come from? And he talks about then that's the brain alarm system being turned yes. on, right? And I think then in our work, right, where we're doing the energy healing, it's not the reason why I want to talk about the integration again is because it's you're then in energy healing, specifically dusting energy healings, you're connecting to those past aspects of trauma pieces, clearing, cleansing, releasing, rejuvenating to allow the reintegration happening. Yeah, and right. right. And when he yeah. talks about the brain alarm system being turned on, it automatically triggers pre-programmed, right? So the physical escape plans in the oldest part of the brain, as in the other animals, the nerves, chemicals that make up our basic brain structure have a direct connection with our body. And when the old brain takes over, it partially shuts down the higher brain, our conscious mind, and propels the body to run, hide, fight, or occasionally freeze. By the time we're fully aware of our situation, our body may already be on the move. If the fight, flight, freeze response is successful, we can escape the danger. We recover our eternal equilibrium and gradually regain our senses. But if for some reason the normal response is blocked, for example, when people are held down, trapped, or otherwise prevented from taking effective action, be it in war, 
car accident, domestic violence, or what you're experiencing too, the earthquake, the brain keeps secreting stress chemicals and the brain's electrical circuits continue to fire in vain. Long after the actual event has passed, the brain may keep sending signals to the body to escape a threat that no longer exists. And when the French psychologist, um, oh yeah, 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 published that first science, he says, I think it's PI published the first scientific account of traumatic stress. It's been recognized that trauma survivors are prone to continue the action, or rather, the futile attempted action, which began when the thing happened. Being able to move and do something to protect oneself is a critical factor in determining whether or not a horrible experience will leave longing lasting scars. Basically, your body is trying to finish what it started. Like, I want to run away from this, and I never got the chance. So if you are someone who's had a really traumatic or intense experience, you may be shutting down. Then you may, you may shut down, and then so you're going to keep shutting down. If you got really agitated and anxious, that might keep happening. So even though you're not in that situation anymore, your body doesn't know that, and it's acting as if you are in the situation again and again and again. And you start to draw in circumstances to recreate it. This is also the thing with trauma where it feels, because he had that example where he had a woman come into a group therapy and she'd had a very traumatic um, upbringing and the group kind of turned on her. And he was thinking, this is very interesting. This is a very nice group of people. They don't normally do this. But then through further investigation, she basically was recreating the whole, what, what her brain, again, we go back to what the subconscious is just looking for safety. Is this safe? Is this safe? Is this safe? If it isn't, then how do I deal with it? And if her, her, what she was comfortable with was being ganged up on, mm -hmm. basically. And, um, and so there was that having to go back and look at that. Yeah. And then you do not need to recreate it, like get heal that aspect, release the energy of it, release whatever emotions need to be released, physically do what you need to do to get it out of the body, move it. And then you're able to, because there is this one part that he talks about where it's you want to find a, a way to stay and become calm, to maintain and, the, and, and focus, to be able to maintain calm and focus when triggered with the past thoughts and emotions. And, and this is what's, this is the whole thing here is find a way to be fully alive in the present and engaged with others. And then, um, and then by not having kept secrets from the self, um is is kind of the way to survive so mm. but i also think what's really important what he said is being engaged with others because mm -hmm. i think a lot of people with trauma they go through it alone mm -hmm. and it comes back to your thing of shame you don't want to talk mm -hmm. about it and the other thing i do want to talk on as you mentioned before about um even if you haven't been a soldier in a war. Okay, I just want to say, Kristen, I'm glad you have the book and I'm looking forward to reading it so we can also talk about it. Thank you for yeah. joining. And anywhere else, thank you for joining. Any yeah. thoughts or comments, please let us know. All right, yeah. what were you going to say, Brigitte? I was going to say too, that there's another book that I read about a Holocaust woman who's also a psychiatrist, who's a brilliant, brilliant woman. And um, she does say, and I think it's important if you're reading this book, just because, like for her, she was a victim of Auschwitz, she was a prisoner. She said, just because you weren't in Auschwitz doesn't mean that your pain mm -hmm. and your trauma isn't valid. Mm -hmm. So um, please, if you're feeling traumatized mm -hmm. and you're thinking, yeah, but it was just an earthquake or it was just mm -hmm. a pandemic, 
no, no, no. If you feel traumatized, if you're having these symptoms that this book is laying out and that we're talking about, give yourself big hugs, lots of love and support. Get the help, get the support. And as Henry said, don't just, and as he says in this book so beautifully, don't just go with one thing, you know? And, and if you find it, if therapists are, are, are not helping, keep looking, keep, keep looking at, you know, and, and find support groups. Um, and do the yoga, find there's therapy. I mean, like Kundalini yoga. Yes, it's a, it's a proven, it's, it's proven in science now that yoga works, so, uh, particularly Kundalini. Um, certain meditations, yeah, herbs, whatever it is, of course, talk to your doctor also. So, I, so with it, you brought up a good point in terms of support groups. There was a point for me where I did, like, I recognized, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not in a good space. And so I did reach out to like some, yeah. you know, some friends and, you know, some family and what was equally shocking was how unprepared we are as individuals in a society to support one another to move through things like this. And yeah. so if you do share with um, family or friends and it's not in the way that some of the care that you may need, I'm just going to say, try to really not be, get angry at them, be yeah. in compassion that we've really raised a society that just does not understand. We understand how to handle big things like we are like, we are really good at, you know, if there is some sort of an emergency situation, like a national disaster, we are great about showing up, collecting yeah. money, being boots on the ground. Yeah. But the aftermath, we are nowhere to be seen. Yeah. I mean, and then all of a sudden people are like, wait, now I'm alone. And that's mm -hmm. when you really, the rubber meets the road. And yeah. we just, we haven't really created that because at some point, sometimes people are like, well, that's too toxic for me. Well, yeah. When somebody has been through trauma, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. It feels yeah. toxic to the person who's been through it too, but we've kind of cultivated this, um, some, some of this like non-beneficial narrative that I think sometimes moves people away from each other. Yeah. When people really need each other, when that person really needs the support, and so if you find that, you know, you, you shared with someone and you feel even more isolated or alone, or you feel even more shame or you feel judged, I'm going to encourage you to continue trying to find yeah. a community or support yeah. where you can allow yourself to heal. And so for me, what ended up happening is I was like, whoa, um, my my community that I had set up, I was like, wow, they don't, they're not, they don't understand how to handle trauma. Yeah. And they don't have the tools themselves. That's it. Yeah. And they don't have the tools themselves. It's kind of like, you know, if, you know, say if something is on fire, you call the fire department, they come in with their, their truck, they've got the, the hoses, the water, they've got the tools, they did the training. Yeah. So when you're in some sort of an emotional or a, a mental kind of like, you feel like everything's on fire, it, you can't, your family or your friends may not have the tools like no. the fire department does. They don't have it. 
Um, Kristen's funny. Don't go to the hardware store for milk. <laughs> exactly. Don't go to the hardware st store for milk. Perfect. Right. And then yeah. because what happens is you don't want to get yourself caught in feeling disappointed. And especially if you're somebody that doesn't always share those things and you really get up the courage to share and then you're like, oh, and so. And I, can I just interrupt you just for a second about families in particular? Uh, often, not always, but often, unfortunately, there's a whole like, yeah, no, that didn't happen. Yeah, that can be that. Which, depending on what we're talking about here, I've heard this from people who've had a parent molest them and they approach the other parent. And they're like, yeah, you're, you're making that up, yeah. which has got to be just devastating to the traumatized person because now you already feel a little crazy to begin with. And now you've got a parent uh, or a family member. So I've seen that happen, too. So that is and I don't know the psychology of that other than I think they're getting triggered I think they're afraid yeah and I mean it, and it comes back to tools right where yeah. they may not have the um the emotional yeah. and the mental maturity and they were getting triggered and they don't have the wise mind to move through it yeah. because let's face it we all went through probably similar schooling systems and yeah. I mean we're learning ABCs and one two threes we're not learning like you know how to have a wise mind or how to have maybe they are now in the schools but when we were going through schools it it just wasn't it was and and so something that every human being has to deal with is grief yeah. every we're gonna have to deal with it and there's zero training and and i've noticed this from my own experience of losing my parents and i've lost you know other people and things people are real as you said they're really good at showing up they're there for the funeral they send they're the there for the initial they send all of that stuff and they send someone from the family if they can't make it or they send all of that's beautiful and that's, and then they go home and then the person and then is, they kind of check it off the list like oh i'm done yeah yeah and then they get on with their lives i did that i showed up lives. and <laughs> the person is yeah. like and it doesn't really hit them there because they're in trauma in that moment depending on what yeah. happened i i mean i think losing a loved one is traumatic it, I, even if it's yeah for the best it's still like you know when i lost my parents there's nothing easy about that and, you know, and I remember thinking for my mom after my dad had died, everyone took off and I stayed a few extra days. Not that I wanted to, but I just thought everyone's leaving. Mm -hmm. She's going to be alone in this house. She has not been alone in this house mm -hmm. ever. Which so, definitely. Which yeah. is plus not to mention the fact that her mind was going and all the other yeah. things. So I just going back to your statement of if people are not hearing you, move on. Let them have their experience. Yeah, have I would say be in compassion. Try to be in compassion be in and compassion. not creating any more like because what you don't want to do is create more divisiveness for yourself or right. like just move yeah. away because then it 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 will then create more challenges in other relationships in your life. Yeah. So I would say you know just be in compassion, loving kindness, yep. and then also allow yourself to move forward to yes. um, be curious and in open-mindedness as much as you can. Cause you want to be in that growth mindset where yeah. there is a place to support you. And so for me, um, one, you know, I had gotten into a, a program at LMU, which was a, it was to study 12 step programs. I mean, talk about like the universe coming in and helping me. I, this is what ended up happening. I, I understood I needed a community. I was like, oh my God, I need a community. I need to be supported with inspiration. And so 
I needed like inspiring talks and I need to be around people because I knew that the isolation wasn't beneficial. And so, and I recognized that within my, my community, I was like, there's not the tools here to support. And so because I've always, you know, um, spirituality has always been important to me. I was like, what else? And I'm meditating, praying, asking for help. And then I read this one book and it talked about this like um, non-denominational church that celebrated all religion and did inspiring talks. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I turned on a podcast. They mentioned it there. And then I turned on Oprah and the Oprah mentioned it. I was like, okay, I just heard it three times. Obviously the universe is knocking yeah. on the door trying to give me a sign. Yeah. And so then I went, there was a, you know, this church, they had one in Culver City. And so I drove, I did not know anybody there. It was really awkward walking in because it was a smaller church, only maybe like 30 people were there right. and they all knew each other. But I knew I really needed, I needed the support. I needed yeah. the community. So I got myself there, even though I had the, I didn't want to's. Oh, I didn't yeah. want to leave home. I was in resistance. Yeah. I was like, oh, I felt awkward. I felt uncomfortable. I got myself there. I got myself like, hi. <laughs> I, and, I, and I sat in the seat and home. It's actually, as soon as I walked into the church, um, the minister, she was greeting people and she's like, hi, you're new. And she's like, can I hug you? And I can't even, I, I really did need a hug. And I was like, Yes. And she hugged me and I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And then I sat in a seat and I listened to her inspiring truth talk and I just like soaked it up the inspiration. And then afterwards, um, you know, you go and get coffee and donuts. I haven't had a donut in like years. And I sat with these, these women who are like in their seventies and eighties. And I just sat with them just talking about the weather and it didn't even matter. I just was in community and I felt better. So I made myself go every day. Uh, not every day, every Sunday. I went every Sunday and I did it for a year. And at some point I started feeling better. And then halfway, I think it was like maybe two months in, there was a card that says, are you interested in, you know, this kind of learning opportunity at LMU. It's a program at LMU. And I was like, oh, I love college and yeah. I love learning. And there's an opportunity to, you know, apply and, and get in. Okay. So I ended up getting in and I went to LMU two nights a week. And again, it was community and I love studying. I love learning. And yeah. so I was in this community of doing the things that I love to do. And in it, we also had, we were learning about 12-step programs and I didn't know, I didn't really know as, I didn't know how many 12-step support group recovery groups there are. And so oh we were studying it and the beneficial effects of recovery groups. And part of the homework was to go to recovery groups, 12-step programs. And so then I ended up having for homework to go two or three nights a week. And so it was, and two or three times a week. And so it was great. Sundays, I would go for community at this church to hear an inspiring talk. I was in community. And right. then two days a week, I was at LMU in community right. learning. And then right. three days a week, I was in support groups, getting all these amazing tools from like Codependence Anonymous. And, you know, I also went to 
under Earners Anonymous, which I didn't even know I made, you know, I did really well in TV. I wouldn't have considered myself an under earner until I was like, well, wait, I work seven days a week, 80 hour weeks, and I was on a flat rate as a producer, which means I wasn't getting overtime. And I was right. like, oh my God, I'm an under earner. It was, it was so eye opening. And then to have the tools to release from being an under earner because they give you tools and you're in community. Yeah. So even though I had some initial aspects where I was like, oh, I, I ended up having so many amazing resources because I allowed myself to receive it in other ways from my high. And that truly ended up being for my highest good because I yeah. got certification and a pair specialist and it ended up being all these other things open the door. Right. Yeah. No, I think community, I mean, this is the thing that anyone recovering from anything, be it trauma or any other issues, uh, I know you're going to see it a hundred percent. It doesn't matter what the, what the issue is, um, I'm involved in quite a few online communities, which um, is That's interesting as the way, but it requires a really clear container. But the the honesty and the um, and they're private, obviously. So you you know, not just any Joe Schmo can just hop on and say, mm -hmm. "Oh, you're posting about the traumatic events or something." Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. They're very they're very well protected. But they are online, which is also a beautiful thing because then you start, what I've loved about this is whatever the issue is. And again, I'm involved with quite a few ones, of course, health, um, like all sorts of different ones. And what you realize is the beautiful thing about community is it takes like shame loves isolation and secrecy. Mm. It loves it. It can only live that way though. And the mm -hmm. minute you find community and you share with people who can hold the space for you and can witness and be compassionate and maybe give you the hug if that's necessary and physical touch is really important. Mm -hmm. It takes the shame away. Mm -hmm. The half of the issue of the shame starts to dissipate when you realize, oh, it's not just me. Like, you you know, this is why yes. are so phenomenal because you will hear people say, yeah, you know, I, I wake up every morning and I'd say like, today's the day I'm not gonna drink. And then by noon, I was drinking and I'm like, what happened? And then I didn't remember the night. It's what happened over and over again. You hear their stories and people are like, I totally did that. Mm -hmm. That was me. And I kept a full-time job and I'm a high functioning person. I'm supposed to know better. There's the shame creeping in, mm -hmm. right? And the and judgment. It's in the judgment. And it's so, and so when you're in a community of like-minded people and some of them, the other good thing about community is some of these people are further ahead than you, mm -hmm. which is really, really beneficial. Not because they're going to give you the, because your path is going to be your path. It's not going to be their path. But you can at least have faith that someone's further ahead of them. Mm -hmm. And they're okay. Not only are they okay, they seem to be doing great. Mm -hmm. Like they're thriving. Mm -hmm. So I want to be around people like that, who went through the muck, w went through the work, whatever needs to do to heal the trauma or, or whatever. This, we're talking trauma today. But whatever it is that you're dealing with, to find community is essential. Rarely do we overcome things alone. It can be done, but most of us, we're, we're people, we need people, we need community. And so whatever that looks like, and, and you know, I know people who've gone to 12-step programs like you did for your studies, who didn't really need to go to 12-step programs. It was but, amazing to really, and I also too, you know, it's so valuable to learn that you can show up somewhere and you can share and because they there's no crosstalk it's just you have a sacred ah. space where you can just share 
And, and oftentimes you don't even realize how much you need to share to release it. And that's when you're saying about like releasing the shame and the judgment, because otherwise you're just, you're ruminating in it. And then, you know, what you're talking about too is the studies. Say bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for coming. Um, There's, uh, you know, we're talking about that there's studies done that show that the pair to pair support groups, actually, I think it's like 80% increase people's chances in terms of healing, because it's pair to pair support, which is different if it's like a practitioner support group, which I thought was really interesting, like understanding that kind of data. So all right, we're going to be wrapping up before we go, though, yeah. Rita, what are the three most important things you, re- you will remember from this work and information? Well, <laughs> I we've only just scratched the surface on it. So so far, three things. Um, there, I think there are things that I kind of already knew, but I like to see that. Oh, it's not just some idea in my head. Mm-hmm. That, um, there's a physical response to things, mm-hmm. and this has been with my work with people. And again, not necessarily having all of the study and practice, just going by intuition alone is one of the things, particularly with women. I find they're not embodied. Mm. And if, the, if you have trauma, it's going to be very hard to embody. Yeah. And so there are, so th- these are the things to look at. Is there, is there, as you like to say, reflections, self-realization, stories, things we mm-hmm. need to work on, journaling, energy release, contacting one of us, getting it moving, get that energy release, or doing acupuncture, or all sorts of different things to heal it, and then to start to truly embody in the present mm-hmm. moment. And, and then, and also, when I say embody in the present moment, what you did yesterday is not necessarily going to work today. Yeah. So again, you kind of let your body, believe it or not, be the guide. So yeah. you, you move from here to here and to here, to your body. And then yeah. you let that kind of guide you, even in terms of something as simple as exercise. Like, what does my body need today? Oh, I need a hard workout. I want to sweat. Great. Or I just need to stretch. Great. And you, you go with that. But that requires a great deal of trust. And that's where all this trauma work you've got to, if if you're, if there's fragments, if there's things coming up, if you have an, if you do not feel safe, then um, you you need to start to take these steps that we're talking about. Read the book, um, find a community, get the support. The other thing too that was a li- not eye opening but helped me have more compassion mm-hmm. is people with who have been traumatized as children don't feel safe anywhere, mm-hmm. and I've heard people I heard a woman recently who's in her 60s and dealing with other things and she and this is in one of these private groups and she said I don't feel safe anywhere I go mm. and I thought oh that's you know and she's going to a safe place and she doesn't feel safe mm-hmm. you know and this is she needs to eat or whatever numb herself before she goes because she doesn't feel safe mm-hmm. and I thought well that answers a lot to me, it explains a lot of our dysfunctional behaviors of we're trying to create numbing or some a barrier or something yeah. so I can feel safe as I enter life. Yeah. So I think that gives me certainly a, a more clear understanding of what I could see, but mm-hmm. didn't completely understand it. And also gives me the uh, compassion and tools yeah. to see, oh, you know, this is, this is a, I mean, to imagine, to me, to go through life not feeling safe at all in your body is, is horrible. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I mean. Those are my initial thoughts. Um, yeah, that's my, those are my initial thoughts. What about you? Um, for me, so I would think, you know, there's a lot of things in this book. I think what really 
I really enjoyed just in terms of understanding his growth mindset that he wasn't really just caught in that fixed mindset. He really is someone that even though, you know, he went to medical school and studied, became a psychiatrist, um, he's continued his evolution of inquiry and yeah, yeah. in terms of being a scientist, if you will, and researcher. Yeah. And I feel like for me, it's something I can really relate to approaching to life. I always, I love to research and I kind of feel like in some ways, you know, we're all here kind of experimenting, yeah. right? What right. works, what doesn't work yeah. and not to get locked into any way. And I find it very hopeful that he spoke about all these different um, modalities. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I'm somebody who does use, you know, Western and Eastern. Yeah. And I use it as a holistic way. And, you know, in having work PTSD, I really had to, um, because I was, you know, my first step was Western. And um, because of all the meditation I was doing, I recognized the 911 situation that I was in and that I needed to actually figure out, like, I realized where I was that it just, the, the information that I needed wasn't out there really yet. Yeah. And so I was kind of at the forefront of experiencing something that yeah. wasn't, you know, even, I think this book came out, yeah, I mean, I think that book came out in 2014, but I had, I think I already had the experience. So mm -hmm. it wasn't really like, and it wasn't even mainstreamed yet fully. No. no and so I was at a point where, you know, people were, they didn't have some of the offers that he mentioned. And so I think in some ways, from my experience, I'm glad that I was able to kind of like research and figure it out. Yeah. But now in, in here, like this book, man, this book is like a, it's, it's just like a map. Like it, yeah. it, it just really maps it out in a way that yeah. lets you understand what can possibly happening. Like, you know, to restore the emotional part of the brain and repair the limbic system. And once you really can bring words to that, it can help you heal in a whole new way. And yeah. so I just found this book to just be so helpful and inspiring to the point that you and I are now in the course, the certification yes. course with him. It's fun. And, and to learn more and he has to help out, you know, clients, but it's really to help out my human. Oh, you know, it's for me. And, I mean, and, it was for clients, but truly. Yeah. And, are there any other tools that before we get off, um, are there any other tools that he mentioned that we can just, you know, kind of point to people in terms of possible resources? Um, resources. Off the top of my head, all I remember at the moment, I mean, aside from the things we've already mentioned, um, yoga, um, there are also specific yoga practitioners that are traumatic. They work trauma with trained, trauma. trained, right? Um, which I would definitely look that up. I mean, that didn't exist even 10 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I would say probably there's Tai Chi. I'd like, I don't know if you mentioned it, but I'm sure that that's going to have to yeah, be. Yeah, Tai Chi is a good one too. A good one too. Energy work, like what we do. Oh, bio, um, bio, biofeedback. Bio, yeah, biofeedback. He mentioned biofeedback. Hypnosis. Hypnosis. Which has been floating in and out. Mm -hmm. um, I'm studying self-hypnosis myself. Um, I would say, uh, 
there are so many things. What, there was one other thing that popped into my, oh, and the more less conventional things, as he said at the very beginning, where it could be taking up martial arts. Mm -hmm. um, I know sometimes I've known women who've gone through a traumatic experience and they became, actually I was friends with someone mm -hmm. who became a kickboxing teacher mm -hmm. and self-defense teacher. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how she moved her trauma, yeah. her rape. And she was able to become a teacher for women of how to, you know, be, you know, um, not only overcome it, but feel like you have some physical, physical, literally physical power, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was interesting. He also mentioned dance. Yeah, and theater. He also, I have it here sure. too. He mentioned, um, okay, so yoga, EMDR, Schwartz Internal Family Systems, um, Pesos, PP, PBSP, psychomotor therapy. I don't Neuro know what that's. He mentioned that in one of, um, one of his chapters. Neurofeedback, movement, yeah. theater, dance, and then, you know, things that you're meant. He, I, would, yeah. I would add on like the energy healing, um, meditation, um, acupuncture, um, somatic therapy. Um, yeah. Peter Levine's book is also another really um, yeah. good book. Um, so yeah, so I think that, you know, I mean, is there, any, is there anything else? Reach out to people, use those numbers that Henry gave at the beginning. Yeah, let's just mention the numbers again. So if you are, um, just number one, realize you aren't alone. Yes, you're yeah. not alone. There are resources out there. There are resources. Um, you can always, if you feel like you need the emergency, you can always call 911 to support you. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K-8255, or text the crisis text line. Text HELLO, H-E-L-L-O, 2741741. Also, another great resource is the National Institute of Mental Health, as they've got great resource information. I'll say for me, the church that I went to, it actually had a free um, text and 1-800 number. I can't tell you how many times I texted saying, hey, I need somebody to do some prayers with me. <laughs> or I called and I said, I need somebody to pray with me. I just needed somebody to be in positive energy and yeah. just to just show up that way for me. Yeah. It was amazing and really helpful to me. And also this, um, I could send it affirmations too, which was really helpful. That's cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was really great. There are, so the 12 step programs that we were talking about, you can research that. That's actually really, really great. Um, yeah. He does have, um, do you remember his website? Is it the trauma stress research research? He I does, don't... he does have a great website. Um, I'm sure if you punch in his name, we can put up the spelling of his name. Okay, wait, we're going to, Let's do some wrap up with some gratitude. Why don't you share your gratitude and I'm going to look up his um, website while you do that. Thank you. Cause I don't have my computer in front of me. Ooh, there's a lot to be grateful for here. Um, grateful to have this book for this man to have done his work and for him to have uh, been a really good example of, I mean, we've, you mentioned it already, but how he just would say like, this is not a satisfying answer. Mm. You know, I'm trying why it's not working. We got to keep, he kept looking for more options, open mind, open mind, open mind. And, mm -hmm. and in a system in the United States where we like to put things in boxes so we know how to charge and how to build people for things, which he talks about too. I appreciate that he was opening, opening, opening the mind, opening mind. We wouldn't have this book if he hadn't been the mind, the kind of person that he was and clearly a caring and loving person. So I'm grateful to him for writing this and for the course. 
I'm grateful to you, Henry, for telling me about them. Because I'm really enjoying it. Um, more than I thought I would, although I love learning, so I, I don't know why I didn't think I would, would not. Of course I do. And I'm grateful to everybody who showed up for this um, because it's not an easy topic. Mm -hmm. Not that Henry and I ever talk about anything this particularly. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but, we like to dive in. That would, that would be boring. No. Um, so I'm very grateful for everybody who showed up. Do read the book. Reach out in any, at any time if you have questions for either one of us. I know we would. Um, and if you have questions, if you want us to discuss this further, we probably will at some point. So if you have any mm -hmm. questions, send them our way. Um, so, yeah, I'm just really grateful for him, the book, you, and our, commu you. our community. Our community here. That. And yeah. we'd love to hear your gratitude, too, if you want to share it with us. So the, the website is traumaresearchfoundation.org. And so that is um, one of his websites. His other website is his name, Besselvanderkolk.com. So those are his two websites. So please check them out. And yes, I am really grateful. I'm grateful for this book. I'm grateful for I'm grateful for Instagram Live that we can do this from our own home spaces. I am grateful for I'm grateful that I have you as a longtime friend. Um, Brigitte and I have known each other since our early 20s. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I'm grateful that I've always been able to talk to you, with you, about topics, like all topics. You know, the fun, the amazing, the cool, but also things that feel scary, vulnerable, and that we can workshop it. And we can also be in open mind and growth mindset and we encourage one another to be in growth mindset and that you are a companion with me in terms of this learning and that we also both just love to be students and learn and share the information and also realizing that yeah we've been through trauma we may have some other things that happen to us but we don't have to continuously be in the identification of the trauma and the trauma is not who we are Mm -hmm. And that we can see the light in each other and we can cheerlead each other and empower one another. I'm just really grateful for that and grateful for the community and just being here. And thank you. Get out the heels. So before we go, would you like to share your social media handles and your website, my friend? Yes. So mine's pretty straightforward. It's my name. Um, Brigitta Dow, B-R-I-G-I-T-T-A-D-A-U dot com or on Facebook that's where I am I am also on Instagram with Brigitte Dow coaching but if you want to see more interesting things you're going to go to what's called Collie Wobble County it's just that dot Brigitte D and you will see a picture of what used to be my orange cat who's since passed away you know you're in the right place because you will see lots of pictures of knitting and dogs and cats and you'll see my coaching stuff too but I think the knitting and the dogs are more interesting so <laughs> And thank you for joining everyone. Here's the disclaimer. This is for educational and self-improvement purposes. Please consult with your health practitioner if you have any kind of medical condition. And please feel free to reach out to us. Thank you so much for joining us. We so appreciate all of you. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, guys. Bye.